This is The Think Tank with Dr. Mike O'Neill talking about the major political, economic, and social issues of the week. KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. The Think Tank. Well, uh, we have the A-team back again. Uh, They are the Think Tank usual suspects. Uh, Chuck Coughlin, Republican consultant. Tom Ryan, general attorney and troublemaker. Uh, we have uh, more topics, that more going on than we can ever get through. I want to start with two related topics, and I'm going to throw the question to Tom as an attorney. Um, there is a boatload of money coming from the federal government, a little over $12 billion to the state of Arizona for a variety of things, but there is a legislatively uh, enacted set of strings attached to that money the gist of which says that, and I quote, recipients cannot use it to either directly or indirectly offset a reduction in net tax revenue. That could mean a reduction in rate, rebate, deduction, or credit. In other words, you're supposed to spend this money on the items uh, indicated. You can't use it to reduce taxes, and uh, it's not a vehicle for reducing taxes. It's for these stated purposes. The attorney general uh, has indicated that he will sue the federal government on this issue. Tom, your thoughts on the legality of a provision like that? Well, under the current state of Supreme Court decision and law, uh, the Commerce Clause would protect Congress's choice to do this. They have to articulate a reasonable basis for distributing money to the states and and in exchange requesting or mandating no tax reduction uh, in exchange for accepting the money. That is well settled Supreme Court law. In other words, if you're going to take money for, say, development of your interstate system within your state, there are certain uh, requirements, funding requirements that the federal government can impose. I think what Brnovich is maybe trying to do, he hasn't really articulated his legal basis at this point. Uh, you know, it, he's going to have to overturn quite a bit of uh, New Deal era legislation law in order to get to where, where he wants to go, which is we got to take the money and we don't have to, uh, we still get to cut taxes. Um, that's that's going to be a tough slog for him. Uh, no. now, he hasn't said that, but I, I think he's thinking of it more in a libertarian point of view and perhaps even just more in a, a, a future political career point of view that win, lose or draw. Uh, I took on uh, the Biden administration over uh, our inability to cut taxes. Uh, I fought hard. You need a guy like me to go to whatever the next level is, governor or senator or whatever he wants to run for. Chuck, your comments? Well, I think that's right. Mike, I think uh, we just hit upon it. Uh, Tom, Tom hit upon it. The, this is theater. All politics is theater. Um, we're a year away from, uh, you know, announcing maybe less than a year away now that we're in March, but less than a year away from gubernatorial campaigns. He is uh, widely considered probably the favorite in the Republican primary uh, for the open seat. Uh, Ducey can't run again. So this is just absolutely a fastball right down the middle for him in Republican primary politics. And so for him to take this on, and I think, you know, I'm not the lawyer that Tom is, nor am I any type of lawyer, but I've hung around with a lot of them, but, uh, and my dad was one, which was good. But, uh, 
you know, the, the theory I think they're working on, and I think you'll get to this in the, in the segment here, Mike, is uh, some of these taxes that were voter approved this past time haven't been collected yet. They're not part of the general revenue stream uh, and they don't go, they're into specific funds. So it's not general fund revenue he's looking at. Um, and so it's targeted tax relief based upon uh, not general fund revenue. So this would not impact, he's gonna make that argument, I think, that the general fund revenue of the state. So he's not violating the, the provision that Tom just spoke about. Let, let me go back to you, Tom, and, and uh, sort of pepper the question with the observation that uh, you, you cited Supreme Court precedent on, on issues like this, but Supreme Court's been, over will, been willing to over, uh, overrule precedent from time to time. We have a historically very conservative Supreme Court, maybe only challenged in recent history by, by the Supreme Court that Roosevelt felt at the beginning of the New Deal, but certainly much more conservative than, in, than any of us have seen in our lifetimes. And if Governor Ducey and Mark Burnovich are pre able to present a, a fig leaf of the sort that Chuck so, uh, described do you think there's any chance that they would uh, they would uphold a, a tax cut uh, well, legality uh, and still take that, the money? You, you raise a great question. And the Roberts court, since uh, the Trump appointees, has really become more of a hydra instead of a liberal and conservative. Um, you have you have the three uh, con liberal considered judges, uh, you know, Sotomayor, Breyer, and Kagan. Then you have uh, the, the hard right judges, uh, including the three appointed by Trump. And then you have Roberts, who is a bit more of a pragmatist. And because he's the chief justice, um, he's uh, kind of the Mitch McConnell of the Supreme Court. He has a lot more control over what's happening there. And if you look at what he did, for example, with the Affordable Care Act, um, he took that back and redesigned it in a way uh, that kept it alive, barely, by redefining what the, the act actually was and did. And there have been other instances where it's been Roberts, the Trump uh, appointees, and uh, Alito and Thomas, and then the other three. You get a three-way split on things. Yeah. Um, so so I might find some way to split the orange, you're saying? Yeah, I think, I think so. Now, keep in mind, what Brnovich is doing, and I, I agree with Chuck, this is, a lot of, this is a lot of political theater. When will this get to the Supreme Court? If he files this lawsuit next week, it's not getting to the Supreme Court the following week. The Supreme Court says, try it in the U.S. District Court, send it through the Circuit Court of Appeals. When it's finally refined, bring it to us. And if anybody thinks that gets fast-tracked, it won't. And in, uh, the, in the meantime, Arizona's gotten the money, spent the money, and presumably cut taxes. They're going to have so a, a, they're gonna have a to tough choice. Work. Yeah. They, okay. they have I, well, be, before we get out of this segment, I want to ask you another question because it's broadly in the same topic. Um, the uh, Prop 208, the voters approved a surtax on very high income earners over $500,000 for a couple um, before the tax kicked in. And uh, it looks, well, not looks like, but the, the governor and Republicans in the legislature are trying to devise a workaround to get around, to provide tax relief to precisely those people and arguing that the way they do it 
doesn't violate the voter protection provision of, of an earlier initiative, which says thou shalt not do anything to undermine the purpose of a popularly uh, voted on initiative. How is that, how is, how is what they're doing? Is there any way that passes legal muster? Oh, that's an interesting question. Prop 208, as everybody knows or doesn't know, is the one that said we're raising taxes on the super wealthy in order to fund our public education. Uh, Prop 123 was a, that was a, a ghost of a deal and everybody I think now is realizing it. Um, so here's the thing, Arizona has adopted something known as the Voter Protection Act. So if Arizona passes a law via referendum or initiative, uh, that is voter protected, meaning it takes two thirds of a vote to get that overturned. Um, they've tried doing that, for example, with the uh, Clean Election Commission. Supreme Court says no, it's voter and, and even with a two thirds vote, that's supposed to be only in furtherance of the intention of the correct. initiative, correct? Yeah, Chuck has something here. Well, uh, and, and the fig leaf that Tom was referring to earlier will be more, probably more substantial because the argument, again, that Brnovich will be making uh, if this is litigated is that you cannot lock the tax, the, the legislature from adopt, adopting tax code policy. And, and the 208 supporters said this wasn't about attacking small businesses. This is tax relief for corporations or businesses that are subchapter S corporations, very targeted. And, and the proponents of 208 said, oh, no, this isn't going to hurt small businesses. Well, as you know, OK, I'm biased here. I am a subchapter S corporation and it would affect our company. And so in the way I allocate resources at the end of the year, I pay my taxes first and then I give bonuses and, and year end stipends and 401ks and everything else to everybody else. I objected to this policy for the very 208. I didn't support it because of the very reason that we're talking about here. We're asking a very small percentage of the population to pay for what is a public obligation. And they could have gotten the sales tax thing passed through easily. I was arguing for more substantive property tax reform because I know that we needed to fund it. But they did it. But you're relitigating re the issue. The fact is the voters passed that. And, and the question at the lock, moment. You can't lock the legislature out of making tax policy. That will be the argument. Tom, there are, you're, there you're are, not, from a legal perspective, not a policy perspective. <laughs> no, Chuck, Chuck is right on at that, but there are, here's the problem. There are, competing, there are competing provisions here. Number one, within the constitution, all powers are retained within the people, except those specifically granted to the legislature. And then secondly, uh, you've got the Voter Protection Act. So the Supreme Court's gonna have, our Supreme Court's gonna have to divvy this one up and we'll see what happens. Okay, got a break now. We're, we've gone way over. Uh, we'll be back with these two guys talking about a different subject in a moment when we return in the Think Tank. Let the river run Let all the dreamers wake the nation The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We're back discussing contemporary issues in Arizona politics. This one was suggested to me by Chuck, so I'm going to go to you on this. Uh, it has not gotten the degree of attention that a lot of other issues are, but you say big dollars are involved. What is going on 
with Indian gaming? Well, it's a, again, I, I go back to my, this is showing my age, I go back to my work with Governor Symington, uh, who opposed the Indian gaming compacts because uh, you know, he, he said, once we do this, we're going to have gaming all across the state. And that's what he was opposed to. We had to do it at the time because we had a lottery and the court said you have to do it um, and you have to give them class three gaming. So they got a compact. They have a compact. You could renew that compact today and just give them that um, th those and protect those investments and assets. Uh, you could give them that forever, as far as I'm concerned. But what he's doing here is giving both He's expanding gaming uh, all across the state. Um, he's giving significant expansion to the Native American tribes, including additional casinos, additional games. Uh, in exchange for that, he's going to get uh, he's going to get um, for the state uh, uh, sportsbook betting, uh, and then he's giving the license or franchise to that to the four wealthiest uh, sports owners in the state. It's nothing more than naked uh, personal ambition. Uh, and personal interest. Uh, there's absolutely, those licenses, as Bob Robbs pointed out, another mentor of mine, are worth tens, probably hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, and he's giving them to the sports franchise for, uh, I would assume they've all been donors to him. He needs to raise money for the Republican Governors Association in his role there. And the legislature is now looking at it um, and, and whether or not they go along with it, there's a lot of democratic pressure um, in the Democratic caucus to give the Native American tribes whatever they want. But the Hobbesian choice here for them is if they give them what they want, then Ducey's going to get what he wants, uh, which is, you know, the, the franchise, a monopolistic franchise to the four largest, um, wealthiest uh, sports owners in the state. It, it has no merit whatsoever. It's Could a total this be time. an issue that comes down on other than a party line vote? Um, well, in order to do this, he, he's wanting two-thirds of the vote. Now, it should be noted that he can sign a gaming compact uh, all by himself. He can do that. The law allows him to do that. And the, what, what he wants is... You just mean when you say you're talking about with the tribes only. Yes. He, the governor has the authority under state statute uh, to sign a compact to give, do whatever he wants with them. But he wants the legislature's blessing so as to bless this naked move and they may do it i mean they may do it uh we'll see as you said not many people are talking about it including most interestingly enough our our uh, attorney general who's the former gaming director and who's running for governor but you know he doesn't want to get on the wrong side of this issue because again there's a lot of money involved here so nobody's talking nobody's talking about it uh, nobody can go on, nobody will go on the record. It's probably not in my best interest to be talking about this, Mike, and my company's best interest, but because there's, because there's money only on one side of this issue. What's that? Because there's money only on one side of this issue. Absolutely. It, there's no public interest being represented here. Look, this is from, uh, this is from, you, you got to understand this. This is a franchise, a state franchise that's being given away and we are being deprived of probably as, as Chuck, I think said, hundreds of millions of dollars of franchise fees uh, to these four wealthy people who will contribute nothing back to the state. And they will, they will reap tenfold off of the franchises, the gaming franchises that they're getting. That's the horrible thing here. And Ducey doesn't care. And these are the so same guys we built stadiums for, right? Oh yeah, they're living in taxpayer funded state. You wanna replace the 208 revenue? You could do that right here. 
You can pay for <laughs> Title I teachers uh, in every Title I district in the state if you handle this correctly. Okay, we will be back with Tom Ryan and Chuck Coughlin when we return in just a moment. In the Think Tank. KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We are back with Chuck Coughlin and Tom Ryan, and uh, I want to talk about some of the uh, issues surrounding the recently completed election. The Arizona State Senate uh, sued the County Board of Supervisors, saying, We want to get, you know, there's looks like there's fraud in this election. And we want to get the ballots and the machines, and we want to do our own audit, given notwithstanding the fact that the county had done its own audit, and the county board is run by four out of five of them are Republicans. They they said they wanted to get the court. The court said that the Senate has that authority. And then we had a situation that seemed not unlike the problem of the dog who finally caught the car, because the Senate seemed to be left oh my God, now what do we do? Uh, They they didn't even have a place to put the ballots. Uh, Chuck, your take on this whole issue. Well, we know that this whole notion of fraud was seeded by uh, President Trump. We knew it was coming beforehand. We knew that was going to be his allegation if he he lost the election. Uh, And we knew he was seeding significant parts of the Republican Party Um, his faithful with that thought. Um, So let's understand that. And then the the state Senate gets elected uh, in the primary. I mean, as we talked, that is their constituency. So they're attempting to satisfy that constituency, which, you know, many of us doubt will ever be satisfied. The board uh, conducted an, uh, an election. It's been audited and reviewed and procedurally uh, you know, acknowledged as secure over five times now. Um, it's a Republican board, as you said, Mike. Uh, and then they got into this uh, uh, set to with uh, the Senate. Um, you know, we're, I, I was aware that she wanted, uh, President Fan wanted to have hearings. She had hearings. And then she was talked into, you know, do, do, you know have, they wanted something. They wanted the results. Uh, they wanted the, the the machines themselves to do this audit. The board bucked that, claiming you know that it would uh, it would violate other laws. You know this is the classic example. Charles Barkley used to you remember when he was in the lane, and a guy kept backing into him and backing into him and backing into him, and he'd get out of the way, and the guy would fall down. This is an <laughs> instance where where the county board should. You know, lawyers got in the room and go, oh, we're, we're going to handle this. You know, we're going to challenge the Senate's authority. And they kept backing up back and they didn't get out of the way. Well, when they got out of the way, there's no way the Senate can do this audit. And, and there's no credible source of people to do the audit. So well, I, my understanding, there's only two firms that have been federally certified to do this. And the county has already hired both of them. And they said it's fine. 
Yep. And there, but the Senate is saying it's not an, uh, the, they're saying it's not a forensic audit. Um, there's some argument here that there's this falls into the election reform discussion, you know, but it is a cluster. It is it is absolutely uh, the, the, the ball is back in the Senate's court now. Uh, our chairman of the board of supervisors uh, sent her a letter saying, where do you want us to deliver the machines? She goes, I got no place to put them. I want to do the audit in your building. Well, in order to do the audit in your building, the county board would need, you know, some protocols. They need a, a an idea of who's going to do the audit, how that's going to happen, what's going to, and there's no dialogue on that. So here we are, uh, in a uh, in a shootout at the OK Corral. The, the impression I get, Tom, is that the president fan would like to go this way, but there's no easy way for this to happen. Oh no, she's uh, it's this is under the category of be careful what you ask for, you just might get it. She got it. And it's funny because uh, Eddie Farnsworth was one of the big proponents. And as soon as she sent it, uh, sent out the subpoena, he was out of the Senate. And so now she's left with this boondoggle somehow to deal with. And, and the problem is uh, they've never had an idea. There's never been a plan. And they, they, were, they were dishonest with Judge Thomas, the Maricopa County Superior Court, when they told him, we want to subpoena this for an audit. They have no capacity for an audit. They have no capacity to evaluate the machines. And what they're now doing is what they're telling us in the press today is they want to do a hand count of all 2.1 million ballots. A hand count of all ballots is not an audit. An audit is you, you design a system and a protocol and you systematically select certain numbers of the ballots and check them uh, against a known value. If you're just counting all the ballots, that is just a, a complete hand count. So they were very also, dishonest. I'd also further project it. if they do a hand count of 2.1 million ballots, the numbers will not come out exactly the same as they came out when you ran through the machine because of human error. Well, yeah, and there's your- it, It's not gonna substantially change the outcome. You're no, not gonna no. find 10,000 you may find mistakes, but it'll benefit one way or the other within regular within the within the profile of the election, right? Done honestly, it'll be random error. Some, You're probably off Biden. by five or ten votes one direction yeah, that, or another. In, in Wisconsin, in Wisconsin, uh, the Trump uh, election team filed a challenge, and it ended up adding another 319 votes to Biden's Biden. side. And because Wisconsin has a you pay for the recount business. Uh, they, they paid $30,000 for a 319 vote push back over to Biden's side. It, look, it, the, the plain fact of the matter is the GOP does not have a plan. This is all, this is all again, it's a kabuki theater. And Chuck is absolutely right. Those who believe that the election was stolen, you will never change their mind. And, and so, you know, this is just, it's a waste of time and a waste of effort, and they will never find anybody to, to oversee it. So Chuck, how does this uh, Senate president fan make this thing go away? <laughs> well, I'll disclose that our, our firm represents Maricopa County and we've been trying to talk to these folks about how to do that. Um, and you have to identify a protocol that both sides agree on. Um, and that's not happening. And so I don't know, Mike, I, I, I really have no idea. Maybe the session will be over and, she wants to do this with volunteers. There's no reason to believe that there'll be enough volunteers to even do this because you have to have Democrats and Republicans and independents. 
you know, the, where is she going to find Democrats that are going to want to participate? It's, it's just Nowhere. not a Nowhere. realistic. You, you probably could find some hardcore Trump lo loyalist who will who will want to certify that Trump won by unanimity. But other than that, <laughs> there there's only one way out for Karen Fan. One way out. It's called grow a spine. You know, stand up politically and say, okay, you know, we started this. It's a mess. It's not what I was told. Um, you know, I relied on experts. They didn't know what they're talking about. I'm out. Well, and this speaking is of that, we, we should recognize uh, that that did happen down there. The Speaker of the House, Rusty Bowers, did that. And right. there, nobody in the House is questioning this anymore. Um, and God bless him. He defended the integrity of the election. God bless the governor. He defended, no matter who you are, you have to give them credit because the hardest thing to do in politics is to stand up to your own. And, it, and it's hard because you're going to face withering criticism. Governor Brewer did that. Governor Symington did that. That's the true definition of leadership is to stand up and say, hey, and, and we've seen now the county board of supervisors do that. There's four county board of members who have faced withering criticism from their own party, three in particular, um, and they've stood up. And so there, there are profiles and courage going on here. It's just not happening in the state Senate right now. All right, the other electoral thing, I'll go to you, Tom, on this, because it's a legal question. Uh, there was a uh, election lawsuit uh, by the Republican Party and its lawyers. Uh, uh, the judge who handled the case found it, not only did he found against him, he found the case to be groundless and uh, charged them court costs and legal fees from the other side. Uh, what's your take on that? Well, I think uh, Judge Hanna's decision was uh, spot on. First, uh, his underlying uh, his underlying decision that this was a a, uh, a fake case, a fraudulent case with no evidence. I listened to the hearing. I listened to the arguments. I listened to the evidence and the testimony. Um, and he was exactly right that it was that there was no evidence in support of any of the claims. And he gave them a lot of latitude. When it was over, he said, "You have." filed a frivolous lawsuit and under uh, Title 12 with Section 349, I'm going to allow the Secretary of State's office to apply for the return of their fees because you've cost the taxpayers a lot of money here for no good reason. And uh, so when they applied, the, the Secretary of State's office, uh, 18,000 for all that they had to go through was a modest amount. And Judge Hanna weighed and balanced everything and came up with what I thought was a fair amount. And then he made, he did something interesting. He made it jointly liable between the Arizona Republican Party and the attorneys who had litigated the case on their behalf. I'm going to give some unsolicited advice to Secretary of State Katie Hobbs. Do not collect the money against the Arizona Republican Party. Collect it solely against the attorneys. Does and she I have that have discretion? Yeah, they have that discretion. When a, when a judge gives you uh, joint and several liability as a judgment, you can pick and choose amongst two to get it. They can go back and get it from the Republican Party if they like. But here's the thought. In, in my practice, I always look at how can I disenable the enablers of bad conduct? And in this case, it was the attorneys. The attorneys brought the keys to the courthouse for the Republican Party to file this fraudulent lawsuit. So my thought is you make them pay. And if, if the Republican Party says, yeah, OK, we'll pay you, that's fine. But I think you go after the attorneys. And, and that's what I would recommend in this case. It's just 61 cases brought and 60 went down big time. I 
that it has a lot of intuitive. I don't think uh, the party would blanch at an $18,000 expense. They can raise that money. The attorneys who brought it, uh, you know, that's not going to probably bankrupt them, but they'll feel it. And, and, and if your goal is to have an attorney think twice before taking on a meritless case, that, uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. We'll be back in a moment with Chuck Coughlin and Tom Ryan in our concluding segment in the Think Day. We're coming to the edge, running on the water, coming through the fog, your sons and daughters. We, the great and small, stand on a star and blaze a trail of desire through the dark. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. Well, uh, we're back with uh, Chuck Coughlin and Tom Ryan. I want to ask you about this, Tom. It, we were talking in the break about uh, sort of the historical decline in civility in our public discourse. Uh, we had a, a pretty ripe couple of examples just this week in our own legislature. You want to uh, tell us what happened and uh, and let's discuss that. Yeah, I think the, the biggest blow up uh, this week was between uh, Chairman uh, John Kavanaugh from Fountain Hills and Athena Salmon. Uh, and uh, it was on the uh, changes in uh, voting laws that uh, there was a hearing on. Athena was trying to explain uh, her vote uh, when uh, she was cut off, there was an argument about whether she was making a speech on other issues or not. Uh, she was trying to explain to Kavanaugh that she was upset that he was not letting people like uh, the representative from the Tohono O'odham nation speak. Uh, Kavanaugh uh, then uh, abruptly cut her off and said, I'm entering a vote for you and it's a no on this. Um, by the way, nobody can vote for somebody else in the state legislature. That actually is a, a felony. Um, and then he later said, well, I, I just presume that's what you meant. And, you know, it's, it, and he's not going to get charged with anything. Of course, but, of course not. That was a rhetorical. So. And, and uh, same, same with Representative Bollock. She, she cut somebody off in one of her committees yesterday. Um, this has been a trend. I've, I've testified before the state legislature and I've had some tough questions asked of me. I, I've had some inappropriate questions asked of me, um, but I've never felt cut off, but this is becoming more and more of a trend. And I don't see it as a good one when we're talking about the democratic process. Um, as I was talking to Chuck on the, uh, in the break, I said, I missed the days when Republican Burton Barr uh, a powerhouse could sit down with a Democrat, another powerhouse, Art Hamilton, and although they had policy disagreements, they could sit down and sit down and talk to each other and find out what they really did have in common that could help the state of Arizona. There's so many major issues facing the state of Arizona today that I don't think we can get resolved anymore because of the, the lack of civility. Tom and I said, you know, we're dinosaurs here, people. Uh, you know, the, the, we're dinosaurs that are chain smoking cigarettes. <laughs> So, so I, I mean, I've observed this a lot. Let, let's first start off with Zoom and and the uh, the way you testify and the and the the impacts of the pandemic on lobbying. My team, it's very very hard 
because you, you have no personal interaction. There's no relational interaction. Um, there's no pre-meeting or post-meeting where you ask about people's family or what are you doing and you know your vacation, how's your kids? None of that happens anymore. And so you get into these very narrow alleys of professional conduct. And as we observe now, particularly in the political arena, none of that exists anymore because it's all about, and we saw that yesterday, again, Tom mentioned two examples. The other example was the governor uh, on this FEMA issue in Pima County, getting seriously brutal criticism from, and I'm not saying it's unjust or just, it, but the narration of it, normally where we would solve that, we would call, ask for a meeting and say, hey, we're, we're prepared to make this a public issue. You're in charge of this, we'd rather not. And just that so people happen. know what this was about, was the feds came in and said, we're gonna, we're, we're uh, ready to open a couple of federal sites for giving out vaccines in Pima County. Right, and the governor, you know, apparently doesn't want the feds setting up a site. So he said, we'll do it through the state. We, you know, it's about vaccines. It was a very thin excuse, if it was an excuse at all, definitely subjected to criticism. But the way that handles is never to talk, talk to them and then, never to go personally and talk to that person, it's to get on Twitter, to get on Facebook, to call your local reporter, have a news conference, lob a grenade across the fence line. It's not about solving the problem. It's about, you know, your personal agenda. It's me, me too-ism again. Then again, we saw it yesterday afternoon. Again, on the other side, uh, the governor was criticizing the federal government's and Biden's response on the immigration issue at the border, which is a very legitimate topic, and saying that you know somebody who had uh, encouraged the uh, the making illegal border crossings no longer illegal, uh, our vice president right now was absolutely the wrong person to do this. Victoria Steele from Tucson posted instantaneously a post calling him, "What's up, white boy? You know this is just some white boys talking." You're like, well, and she took it down. Well, yeah, but the instinct there is just all wrong. There's no relationship left. It's it's playing to the peanut gallery every time, as we were talking about before uh, with Senator Fan's problem in the Senate. Uh, you know, there's no there's no discussion anymore. There's no relational aspects like Tom and you were both talking about, where two, two people from opposing parties sit down. I shouldn't say no. I've seen that again. Back to some people. Uh, Rusty Bowers, the Speaker of the House, has done that. Uh, we did that on the Colorado River in, uh, Compact. That's done. We did that on that in a big way. We did that um, uh, on other things uh, in the election cycle. We saw you know, bipartisanship at Maricopa County and standing up for the elections. Um, you see it, but these examples of, of uh, just really, really bad behavior. Uh, just far outnumber the good ones, unfortunately. And I think a takeaway that I have from listening to you is that if somebody does something that you don't like, if your first instinct is to call them and privately tell them what your problem with, the person who did it has more latitude to change their position. And therefore, you're more likely to get a substantive change if you, your response is a public, your initial response is a public salvo then everybody's locked into their position. I, and I think a big part of the problem here is um, uh, social media, such as Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, because what happens is you get a reaction, you're not getting a reflection. 
And when you don't take the time to reflect on what you're going to say, you say things that are mean, ugly, snarky, everything like that. And, and that's done a lot to damage the public discourse. So we got a long way to go in terms of, uh, I'd say it's a low bar. <laughs> it's a low <laughs> bar right yeah. now for civil behavior in life. And I've been guilty of this. You know, I, I, I've been a problem of this. In it's, time, easy to, it's easy to fall into. It uh, I think you get the last word on this. Uh, Tom Ryan, Chuck Coughlin, my favorite guest, I, I will tell you, in the whole world, because when you guys come on, it's always easy, and it's always interesting, and I always learn something, and that's well, it's a not couple, true. It's three Irishmen talking, all we need is a bottle of Irish whiskey in the middle yeah, of the that table. Would, that would, that would improve <laughs> it even more, and uh, I will note, which I never get around to doing, if a listener wants to contact me, the website is mikeoneal.org there are links there for emails and Facebook and Twitter and the rest. And we'll have this crew back, I'm sure, shortly. Uh, we've missed you guys. Welcome back. And uh, we'll ask everybody else. We'll see you next week in the Think Tank. Thanks. Thank you. Running on the water, coming through the fog, your sons and daughters, let the river